For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. We are dealing with the fourth of five warning passages that appear in the book of Hebrews. And this one, perhaps, is the most severe, and it needs to be. These discouraged and embittered believers are wanting to renounce Jesus and go back to their old lives of sin and unbelief in spite of having come to know the truth. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message from Hebrews 10 entitled, Warnings and Encouragements. Alrighty, let's get started. Turn with me in your Bibles where we left off before Resurrection Sunday. We took a break. We were in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. Chapter 10, and we left off in the middle of the chapter. Lord willing, we'll finish that chapter uh, this, uh, this morning. So let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, before us just is a passage that's very intense and and complicated. And we just ask, Lord, for the wisdom to take a look at your word and let your word do its work, its fiery work in our hearts and lives. We trust you. We know that you love us. And uh, we look forward to the ways you will speak encouragement to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you know, we took a a break from our regular routine here in the book of Hebrews, uh, and we're almost uh, at the end. There are 13 chapters. We're at the end of chapter uh, 10, and so I look forward to next Sunday. We'll we'll make it to Hebrews 11, which is that very famous uh, chapter uh, we call the Hall of Faith, where it just talks about the, the wonderful foundation of the Christian life, which is faith in it, and names all of these marvelous Bible heroes uh, who express that kind of faith. It's a very inspiring chapter. We'll take a few weeks and, and uh, settle there, and I look forward to that for sure. Well, one of the, the more famous things about the book of Hebrews is those um, five warning passages that we've talked about. Uh, They're very intense, and we are going to hit one of those warning passages even this morning. Uh, Warning number four out of the five uh, given to us in the 13 chapters. And on a scale of one through 10, and 10 being uh, habanero, hot, um, (laughs) it has all 10 and a half uh, habanero peppers on the scale. So it's a spicy one for sure. How many of you like spicy food? Oh, good. You're in for a treat. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, your spicy food. So, um, of course, let me just say this before we dive in. Of course, the warnings have to be very harsh um, and sobering because number one, These are Christians who have come into the knowledge of the truth, who have experienced the Holy Spirit, and they're thinking about cashing in the the chips or throwing in the towel, as it were. They're, They're thinking about pulling a Judas, and it's worse for them because they have been born again. They would be sinning against light. And so it's a pretty serious thing. I mean, they're discouraged They've been persecuted. They're just tired of it all. It's like, I'm done with this whole thing with Jesus. You know, they could go back to being uh, Jews in the synagogues and just to their, their, their life of good works under the protection of law. Nobody would bug them about being a Christian. Now, the deal with this is God doesn't ever blame anyone for being discouraged. In fact, he empathizes with us when we get like that. And so he comes alongside discouraged people and he helps us and he sympathizes, but he does um, hold us accountable for how we handle our discouragement, you see. And, And they're thinking about not handling their discouragement very well. A sin against light is 
uh, the most serious kind of transgression. So therefore, they need some heavy-duty motivation not to do it. They haven't done it, but they're thinking about it. Maybe they're kind of going in that direction. Number two, and then we'll dive in. Number two reason it has to be sobering is because it's rebellion not against a parent. That's bad enough. Not against your boss, a well-meaning good boss, you know, to, to, to uh, rebel against police officers, uh, that kind of thing. That's bad enough, but we're talking about a rebellion, a disrespect, and a repudiation in a reviling kind of way. The Son of God, God. That, of course, a warning against doing that better kind of grab you by the scruff of your soul and fiery eyes looking in you. You sure you want to do this? And, and that's exactly what we go, got going on here uh, this morning. Now, on a positive note, every one of those five warnings is coupled with five encouragements. So every time there's a warning, there's this embrace and affirmation and hopeful assurance given. And so, yeah, you could call Hebrews the book of five hugs, or, or you could call it the, 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 the book of five slaps. You know, it depends on is the glass half full or half empty, right? Well, uh, here we go with slap number four. Are you ready? You braced yourself, all right? Put the, put the cheek out there, right there. All right. Coming at you now, courtesy of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Verses, why don't we read the whole paragraph just for context? Here we go. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received a knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who is treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's park there. Now, I was sitting on the couch the other night just kind of thinking about this passage, rolling it over and over in my mind, kind of wrestling, and out came, oh, and Barbara said, what's going on? And I said, oh, just let me read to you, okay? Just let me read to you the opening words of Sunday morning's text. So, so she's sitting there, and she says, go ahead. And so I start quoting it. If we deliberately keep on sinning, I get down to it's... It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. She looked at me and smiled and said, it's a great day to be in church, amen? (laughs) If it's such a great day to be in church, why don't you come up here and give your comments on this verse? I've got some questions, honey. Such a great day. Come and share. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) Oh, there was another sweet lady who came to me. A funny look on her face the week before Easter. She said, Pastor Ross, I'm I'm just curious about... um, Next week, I've got some friends and family coming. And, and she goes, I, and I know we go through the scriptures. And, and I'm just wondering, because I read ahead, and I was just uh, <laughs> You should have seen her face. And she was so polite about it. But, you know, and I went, relax. It's OK. I read ahead, too. Uh, we'll be going to the book of Luke, to the Easter story. <laughs> and she said, phew. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so right away, uh, I didn't have to tell you which was the warning and which was the hug, right? So, okay, this is the warning. Okay, this is the slap. And um, we need to right away dive in. It's a warning against the peril of continual 
sinning. Now, clarification is needed right away uh, because it talks about continuing to deliberately sin after we've received the knowledge of the truth. Now, if in one sense you take that, it could mean us because we do that. So we have to, is there some kind of distinction between what is being talked about here and normative Christian living? Well, uh, Ray Steadman, noted Bible teacher, real respected guy. He's with the Lord now. He started, founded Peninsula Bible uh, Church. Thank you. Very well known, <laughs> as you can see. Thank you. And here's what he says about this passage and the beginning distinction about who are we talking about here. Um, what is this willing, willful, deliberate sin that has such terrible results? The tense of the words used indicates immediately that this is not a single act of folly or weakness, uh, nor is it the normal falterings of a Christian who is still learning how to walk by the Spirit. None of these things are in view. The continuous present tense of the word sin deliberately marks a long continued attitude of resistance. In fact, really, he's talking about a lifestyle off the path that is deliberate and uh, consistently going the opposite uh, direction. It's a new path. It no longer looks to Jesus or the cross, and it's continual. So, you know, you may be uh, glad to hear that because these words can be very disconcerting uh, because normally uh, we understand that the Bible says if anybody says that they're without sin, they're lying. So we have sin. The Bible acknowledges that, that post-knowledge of the truth, we have moral failures, and the Bible not only acknowledges that, but it gives you a way to be resolved. And so healthy Christians who are walking with Jesus, even though we have a new nature, the Holy Spirit comes in, gives us a new life. We're born again. Uh, I mean, and it's evident. Thieves really stop stealing. And uh, people who are immoral start to live a moral and decent life. The lying stops. People are telling the truth. Uh, and the, our lifestyles become kind of characterized by a, a moral goodness. That is true. But unfortunately, theologically speaking, the sin nature survives conversion. And that is why we have the Holy Spirit on board who helps us to put to death that old nature. Well, that's a process. I mean, we wrestle through our whole lives and we fall short constantly. And so he's not talking about Christians who love God, who are sinning in spite of not wanting to in a struggle through, through moral lapses and through weakness, through, through, through unintentional. I mean, unintentional sins happen all the time. I mean, especially with sins of the mouth. You're talking, you're talking, you're talking. Before you know it, they'll look on somebody's face. You realize you've hurt them, you were rude to them, or you gossiped about somebody, and you have to come back later. And you say these words, man, I am so sorry. I mean, that kind of set with me. We parted, and I realized, I said, did, did that upset you? And the guy I'm thinking about who just, just happened to me said, yeah, it did upset me. And I was like, oh, the furthest thing from my mind was to say something that would hurt you. It's the furthest thing, but I did it. It was rude and kind, and unkind, uh, but it's unintentional. Well, well, that's a sin, and that happens. In fact, there's a Greek word that means to slip. You know, so that's one of the ways we sin. But you know, truth be told, we know when we are loading the tongue with a lie. You know, and we understand, okay, here's a temptation. That is wrong. Um, I shouldn't do it. Uh, and I choose to do it deliberately. And so we have both kinds of things going on. So it could be confusing. But what happens when, when, when you sin, the Lord says, you come to me, you confess your sin, 
I'm faithful and just to forgive you of that sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So provision is given, right? So he kind of, he doesn't expect it, but there's an allowance in the scriptures that we fall short, but we are walking and limping in the right direction. This is not the case here. What do these people want to do? They want to quit being Christians. They want to put Jesus away forever. That's not the life of a normal Christian who is struggling in spite of their own good efforts. What did Paul the Apostle say in Romans chapter 7? The very good thing that I want to do, I don't do that. I end up doing the very thing I hate. What is wrong with me? What, what a wretched man that I am. He says, when I go to do good, guess what? Evil's sitting right there, just waiting to strike. That's kind of our life story. Three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, one step back. That's the kind of thing. That's called normal Christian living. We're not talking here about someone who's walking and limping on the straight and narrow path in fellowship, walking in light with the slips and the immoral inconsistencies and the I didn't mean that. All of those sins, that's what being a Christian is all about. This problem is saying, I'm done with you, Jesus. I'm done with the cross. I'm going to find my own path. I'm going to do it my way without the Lord and continuing to do that. That's what this is talking about. These guys were embittered. They're discouraged. They were drifting. And uh, that is why it makes perfect sense that this is going to be as harsh as it is. So we've seen the distinction now who we're talking about. And now the idea, if a person after receiving the knowledge of the truth, and by the way, the word knowledge there, they're Christian people. It's an experiential knowledge. It's a knowledge of having received the Holy Spirit. And we've been down this road in warning number two. That was back in Hebrews chapter six. They had tasted of the Holy Spirit. He considers them saved. So he's making an argument about saved people doing what he uh, has written for them. And so first of all, he says, uh, there are now consequences. Number one, there's no sacrifice for sins left for that kind of behavior. Now, by deliberately breaking off fellowship with Christ and the only way to be forgiven, simply this, one writer put it this way, well, yeah, there's no sacrifice for sins left because you're, you've rendered the cross useless. There's no remedy for your sinful condition because you won't avail yourself to the one who forgives and by the only means he does so. So if you want to talk in terms of the way it kind of sounds, there's no blood reserves for that kind of life. The blood was shed to absolve you of your sins, not condone them. And that's not the purpose. That's not why the funds will be released to your account because you're going to go out and party hardy because you're tired of Jesus. He says there's no sacrifice for that kind of deal. Uh, you know, the homeless man, you know, I'll open the church and we have. We open the church on, on cold nights. They can come. Uh, we'll feed them. I, I, whenever somebody asks me for money, if I have the time, I'll just stop. I will not give them the money. I will go in and take them out to eat or I'll bring them back food and bring it back to them. But if he's holding a beer bottle and he says, hey man, not gonna lie, just want a beer, right? Well, guess what? This hard-earned money of mine is not going to fund you, a drunk, going out to make your problems even worse and getting drunk, I'm not going to fund that. Well, hold on. <laughs> Wait, there's more. <laughs> That's what the meaning of this. I got funds. Oh, they're endless. If you want to spend them the right way, they're endless to the sky and heaven and back around the sun 10,000 times for a Christian who needs struggle who's struggling it's endless it's not like a, you start your christian life and there's a gas gauge and you start on full and you know every time you sin it's like the meter's going down and you're gonna run out no 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 when you walk in the light there's an endless eternal infinite supply that your brain can't even capture how much grace there is 
like an ant at the door of a greenery. That's what it's like. But not for somebody who does this. Oh, no, 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 no. That, that doesn't happen. You can't be set free and then be willing to put your hands back in the cuffs. You can't be washed clean and then jump back in the pig pen. And say, hey, I know you washed me, but hey, I like the smell of pigs, man. <laughs> or number three, you can't have your eyes open and then plunge yourself into darkness and then expect that there are funds to cover that. That's just not cool. That doesn't work for God. Uh, the pop, there are exclusion policies uh, to that kind of thing. No reserves for that kind of behavior. Well, what's left then? What is there left? Well, there's fear, fear and judgment. Mostly God-enhanced consequences of your own bad behavior. In other words, God's uh, permissive judgment. Unconfessed and deliberate sin is an equal opportunity destroyer. And God will judge sin in whomever it is he finds it. If it's in the Lord's people, this is who we're talking about. We're talking about saved people. He'll judge it in the Lord's people and he will judge it in the enemies of God. Either way. He doesn't show favoritism. Sin is sin. He's going to judge. He has two options. He's going to pardon or punish, right? He's going to, he's going to, there's two J words I want to use. He's going to pardon or punish or justify or judge. You've got two right there and you're cute too. (laughs) It's my wife. Oh, (laughs) it's my wife. Very good. Those are the two options, man. That's it. So it doesn't matter where it is. Now, is there a distinction between how the fire of judgment falls when you're the Lord's people or when you're his enemies? Yes, there is. And I'm glad you brought that up because we're going to talk about it now. Now, about this fiery judgment upon Let's just talk about it as it appears. You know, first, a preemptive strike to these who are thinking, hey, you know, the good old days, you know, I could just uh, get rid of all of this persecution and all of this stuff. A preemptive strike is to understand this is really serious. And the judgment that would come upon you for turning your back on Christ once you know him, uh, you know, it's pretty serious and justified and well-deserved. And so he goes to the Old Testament, to the Jew, to the Jews, right? So he says, hey, bros, listen up. And in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 17, you know what it says. If in the law of Moses, he wrote, if there was an unrepented adulterer, for, uh, per se, and, and he went out deliberately, unrepented, you know what? They just drag him outside the camp and stone him to death. Period. Let's talk about you, sir. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You've experienced the love of Christ and God. You, you have a full understanding of how Christ and Messiah came into this world. You have a new nature. He did not. He lived in the shadows. He went after his lust and he died for it. How much more are you in trouble if with all of those assets you want to sin against the Lord? So he's trying to get their attention that way. Let me tell you why these spine-tingling descriptions are there for. Because he's going to bust them out. The Holy Spirit's speaking. He's going to bust those flirting with disaster out of their delusions of grandeur. In other words, if there's self-deception in their hearts about what they're about to do, if they don't fully realize the severity of turning away from Jesus Christ, 
then he's going to give them heaven's perspective because you can rest assured if you interviewed one of those Hebrews, hey, what's up? What are you doing? They would never put it this way. Here's what they would say. They would say, well, you know, I've been hurt, okay? And I'm just, I just need to take a break. All right, I've been hurt. Oh, doesn't that sound better than what, how heaven sees it? Or, or they'll say something like, I, I just, you know, done, done a lot of thinking. I'm growing. I'm growing my understanding. I'm going to go back to the roots of Christianity. Now, didn't Jesus say, when you're looking at me, you're looking at Yahweh? And who is Yahweh? So they're, 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 see, I'm growing, I'm enlightened, I'm taking a break, or I'm, getting, I'm going home, or I'm on a journey, and all of this stuff. So he says, no, actually, let me tell you what you're doing. Number one, you're trampling Jesus underfoot. In other words, Jesus is laying down and being crucified, and you walk on top of him. And just keep walking, fully knowing who it is upon whom you are walking. Number two, you're disregarding, the text says, the sacredness of that blood. So to count the blood of Jesus as an unholy thing, the word there means common. So what you're saying is that could be Dave's blood or Barney's blood or anybody else's blood. It's kind of a whatever um, passive understanding of the blood. It's insignificant to me. It has no significance. Well, did, did, did you know that indifference is the cruelest form of hate? Indifference is a cruel expression of anger. And what it, what it is, is for the passive aggressive among us. So the passive aggressive are, are just as angry at God as a militant atheist. But the way that they go about it is passively by writing God off completely. There's no talk of him. There's no acknowledging him. There's not even grace on Thanksgiving because he's dead to me. Oh, that's aggression. It's called passive aggressiveness. And so he... He's trying to stir them up. Don't, don't play that game. And number three, the insult to the gracious Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit is not just the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. He is called the third person of the Godhead, that God exists in three forms, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. And so it's an insult or outrage to him, and the idea is he's stretching forth his generous hand, and it's snubbed. And so that's what's going on. So it's actually not you finding your path, sir. It's actually your heel is on Jesus' face. Uh, your, his blood you put in the trash and you flipped the Holy Spirit a profane gesture. That's heaven's understanding of your time out and your needing a break. So uh, because you're abandoning Jesus, Abandoning Jesus, that's what heaven thinks. For, for you to, to abandon Jesus when you've been fully enlightened and he's lived in your heart and you're going to turn on him, this is what heaven thinks. It's just it's a pretty fiery ordeal. And so now, you know, what's in store then? He says fiery judgment, you know, fiery judgment, fear. It's waiting because God is going to judge that. So he says, uh, he says we know... I love this. He says, we're Jews. We know the nature of God. We understand that even though the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving of sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So the nature of God is compassionate and kind and long-suffering and merciful. I mean, that's, that's who he is. But he's not a pushover. He's nobody to trifle with. Yes, he's the, the lamb, but he's also the lion. Do you remember in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? You know when, I've used this before, I love this, when uh, Lucy is finding out about the lion for the first time. His name is Aslan, and he's a what? He's a lion. It, he's a lion. Well, is he safe? 
And Mr. Beaver says, oh, how cute. Of course he's not safe. Did you hear what we said? He's a lion. <laughs> he's not safe. And then he says, oh, and he looks off in the horizon. But he's good. He's good. But don't mess with him. Who in their right mind would kind of provoke a lion, right? That's not smart. Amen? So he says, we Jews, we Jews know we've got scriptures about this. God, he says, it is mine, but vengeance belongs to me. I repay. You know, I'm not some kind of white-bearded, mamby-pamby grandpa rocking on the porch in my rocking chair. Oh, there's God. Or some medieval, anemic, pale-looking, effeminate Jesus from the Middle Ages. Uh, all that art that has him looking like he needs to take some iron supplements. <laughs> <laughs> Little hoe, there's Jesus, meek and mild. I hope he doesn't fall over for the portrait, you know? He says, oh, no, 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 Hebrews. We know, we Jews know how God can fire down like a thunder when he's upset. I mean, 600,000 of us Jews fell in the wilderness because after 10 times of saying, we want to go back to Egypt. We don't like this manna. You know, we had it better in the slave pits with Pharaoh. God goes, whoa, that's it. Forgiveness is not an issue. Still come to heaven. And it says that in the text. But you are not going to enjoy the promised land. And I'm going to wait 40 years. I'm going to keep you on detour until the last one of you who said that falls down and dies. And then your kids can go in. But none of you. Don't mess with the lion. Do not mess with the lion. It didn't matter. Oh, we're Jews. He busted us out of Egypt. Who else did he do the 10 plagues for? Who else did he lead through the, the waters and shine down a light from heaven, a pillar to guide us by night, cloud by the day to keep the sun off our backs? We're Jews, man. But don't mess with the lion, even if you're his kid. You just don't poke a stick in his eye. Amen? Yeah. You could lose a finger or something, you know? So let's talk about that. The fire falls now on the people of God right there. Is there a distinction? Yeah, let's talk about it. It started in the Old Testament. Let's talk about the fire falling on a Bible hero, Samson. Oh, my. Poster child for EGR. Extra grace required. This guy, you know, he never met a pretty face, especially if it was a Philistine woman that he didn't like. And God was dealing with this guy over and over again, and it wasn't just about being sexually immoral. This guy was violent and rude and breaking his vows and everything. And God just said, you know what? You are Samson. You are God called. You had a special birth. You're just, you know, you're wonderful, except you're a lot of work. So he allowed the sinfulness of his own breaking the vow with Yahweh. He, he, he enhanced the consequences and they took him and they gouged out his eyeballs. Now you are the way you've been living, blind. And you know what? You've been a foolish joker, you know? Everything to him was a riddle. Right? Oh, I got a joke for you, you know? And so, yeah, so the Lord allows his captors, the Philistines, take them to be their court jester. So when they get drunk, they call out, you know, call out the big guy with the muscles. And he come out, I'm blind, you know? And they say, hey, we got a song for you. Let us see you dance, big strong man. Hey, break up, here's some bronze. He was their entertainer because he was a joke. And he lived the joke, and then he started to get it. Oh, and there was repentance. The supply came in. His hair started growing. But a tragic end. He says, oh, Lord, just one more time. Let me take a few of these Philistines out. And he pulls the pillars to which he's shackled. And down they come on him. Is he in heaven? You will see him. The fiery judgment of God came down 
Was that a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? Yes and amen. That is not the way that I'm hoping to go one day. <laughs> King David, he loses his little baby because of his scandalous, adulterous affair. The fire falls. David's kingdom's never the same. He's never the same. Terrible. Solomon, this guy who had more splendor than any guy that ever lived on the earth, more wisdom, and he didn't apply it always. He, got, he lost everything because he built a hill called the Hill of Corruption for his foreign wives so that they could sacrifice to their gods on it. He lost everything there. The fire of God falls, you lose life, you lose health, you lose your ministry, you could lose your career, your dignity, your reputation, your reward in this life and the life to come. But they don't lose their souls. Why? There is people. He judges his people. He doesn't condemn his people. The promise never depended on us for salvation. This is a cup. This is the covenant I'm making. It's got my blood in it. Where's, our, where's your signing? You have no signing because it's, it's a unilateral covenant. And it was that way in the beginning. Salvation is not up to you. He judges his people, and it is a terrible fire, and it's a dreadful, terrifying thing. Ask these guys. Ask Ananias and Sapphira, who I think you'll see in heaven. They picked the wrong day to mess with the lion. <laughs> One more, and I've mentioned this to you before. In Corinth, we have born-again Christians, guys, getting lustful and crazy and drunk. Where? At a home fellowship group, at the communion service. Taking the communion wine, which represents the blood of Christ, and not taking a sip, but guzzling it down, eating all the food, seeing the pretty girls at church, and hitting on them. Drunk. Paul comes in and says, excuse me, I don't know if you've noticed, but some of you are getting sick and dying. Have you made a connection with who's getting sick and dying? It's the guys who are doing that. So he said, there is, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. There, there is a destruction of the body so that the soul may be saved. 1 John chapter 5, verse 17, there's a sin that leads to death. I mean, what is there left to do with a, a, a totally enlightened, spirit-filled Christian who says, I'm done with you? What's left to do with him? He's stumbling other people from coming to the Lord. He's useless. He can't ma he's making things worse. He's piling up condemnation for his own account and losing reward every day that goes by. If he was truly saved, he had all this reward. And every single day, He's watching his eternal reward go down, and the Lord's like, listen, buddy, I'll put you on an earlier flight, all right? <laughs> and, and, you know, it's really easy for God to do that, you know? He'll say, hey, what's that over there? You look this way, the truck comes that way. <laughs> and what happens on that flight? You crash and burn on the runways of heaven. The angels look at it and look like, Tuh. Anybody survive that? Whoa, what? They're pulling a the body out. <laughs> they pull him out, dust him off, hose him down, and he's standing there. Whew, that was close. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15. It says that exact thing. You lose all your heavenly rights, all your, all your rewards, I should say. And I don't think you go around heaven just going, to, oh, dude, I'm a loser, you know. But <laughs> were you the one with all that fire and flames? No, I don't think so. However, there's a distinction in the, in the eternal kingdom that's coming, that's eternal. And that distinction is made by our degree of faithfulness and stewardship. The guy who dumps Jesus in full knowledge is not getting the same reward as somebody who served faithfully all his life, period. And that's biblical. And that's what's going on here. 
um, that just kind of gives it, leaves it into God's hands, it ties God's hands, and, and all we have to look forward to is that uh, judgment. And come on, you know, divorce, disease, hepatitis C, HIV AIDS, and a host of other things, prison, fines, divorce, and the, the, the kids estranged. All of these things happen as a result of Christians who say, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. Serious situation. And loss of life as well is included. Who's ready for some good news? <laughs> and, and by the way, the Lord said, hey, David, why don't you put up what Jesus said about the safety of our souls in him? I'd be like, Lord, you know, I just don't think they're going to be in heaven. I mean, look what they did. They walked on top of you. It's like spitting on your blood and, and, and all kinds of things. Well, listen, Ross, listen. All the Father gives me all will come to me. They come to me. They could, did they come to me? Yeah, they came to you. And whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. But, but what, Ross? Let's go back to here. I will never. Do you want me to explain what never means to you, Ross? Okay, no. I trust you, Lord. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all, none of all that he has given me. Did he give me them? Did they know me? Did they come to me? Then I shall not lose one of them. For this is God's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes shall have eternal life. Did they look to me? He's talking to me. Did they look to me, Ross? Well, yeah, you would know, did they? Yes, they looked to me. They had a full knowledge of me. They looked to me, they trusted me, and they turned from me. But I didn't turn from them. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. When you are faithless, I remain faithful, for I cannot deny my own character. And those were Bible quotes. Now, all right? Settle down, everybody. Settle down. Time for a hug. Bring it up. Now, now he says, okay, okay, guys, listen. Remember those early days after you received the lion, when you were first saved? When you stood your ground in a great contest of, in the face of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property all because you knew that you yourselves have better and lasting possessions. So you can don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. Oh, you guys, for just in a little, very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with them. So he's quoted Habakkuk for them. We'll talk about that. But we're not of those who shrink back and aren't destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Well, let's park there. It's time for some encouragement. This encouragement divides into two parts. Uh, the first part is, is looking past, looking in the past to gain confidence for the future. And the second part is looking toward the future. So he calls them to reminisce in the, these verses, 32 through 34, about the early days when they first became Christians. It's something very uh, inspiring to do, isn't it? To go back to the early days of any big endeavor in your life. You know, uh, if I get in, uh, discouraged, uh, I go back in my mind to the early days. You know, we were just driving by uh, the Grateful Bagel on uh, Main Street in Sebastopol. And it was there I sat before anything came out of my own brain about starting a church. I was fasting, I was drinking tea. I was saying, Lord, where would you start a church? We need a building, you know, and it all started there. There was no money. I was on disability, having a bone marrow transplant a few months earlier. 
There was no money. There were no families. There were, the pastor before wasn't into church planning. He didn't want to support anything. There was nothing. I made a phone call from the Grateful Bagel, and some lady said, hey, did you read the, did you read the ad? We're looking for a church to rent our little place. I said, I didn't see an ad. And, and, and I was like, oh, you God. And, and we ended up getting this little place to rent for $450. We could rent the offices. It used to be a church. It was perfect. And it started. And all the answers to prayer. And no employees, nothing. No money, no income, zero. Wow. So then when I get discouraged, I'm like, oh, I remember how God came through. And all. yeah. This is a strategy I use in marriage counseling, too. Don't tell anybody, all right? But what I do is I slyly get them to start talking about how they first met in their early days. So they come in sitting on the, the love seat, you know, one over here, one over here. And, and I'll say, so what, you know, how'd you guys meet? Just tell me, you know. And, and uh, what drew you to her, you know, sir? You know, and uh, at first they're begrudging about it. You know, the voice gives it away. Well, you know. <laughs> so he goes, he goes, I was in a job I hated. I was miserable every day of my life. <laughs> and he said, but there was this gal there, you know, just a couple cubicles away. Every time she walked by, I could hear the clicking coming and got all excited because she, she just talked to me and I felt calm on the inside and happy and, you know, she was the only bright spot in my day there and I just did, I couldn't imagine going through life without her. Well, the wife's face went from to this. And so did his face, right? And then I start them talking about the early days. Oh, yeah, well, we used that. We didn't have any furniture. We just had crates. You know, we used these crates, and we set up like, oh, we had oh, fun days. We had lots of food to eat. We had one day we'd have rice and beans. The next day we'd have beans and rice. <laughs> the day after that we had rice and beans. It was wonderful. And she'd write little like, and they don't even know. They don't even know they're getting excited talking about it, you know? And then the kids started coming. Don't tell me about that. Well, she took the test, and we're all we're hugging, jumping up and down in the back. Yeah, and it's like, I don't even need to do any therapy here, you know? It's happening. Why? Because the very people we once were, we can be them again. That's what he's doing here. He said, let's talk about when you first got saved. He says, I'm just interested because uh, uh, when you first got saved, man, the truth came flooding in. Your hearts were free. You got filled with the spirit, you know. You felt that warm love and acceptance. All your sins were gone, and you had a heavenly father. That's what I'm talking about. You realized you were forgiven. The guilt was gone. You're going to heaven. The Holy Spirit was in your life, and there's nothing anybody could do to stop you do you remember that person? Well, of course they remember the courage, the boldness, the endurance, the fearlessness, the joy, the love. And it was all in the middle of suffering. He says, I want you to think about that. When you stood a contest, he says, well, it's an athletic word. Like, like you were getting pummeled out there. You were in the ring. You were, you, you were in a tug of war match. It didn't matter if there were 10 devils from hell on that other side. You weren't going to move in the name of Jesus Christ. I resist you. You're not budging me one inch, buddy. That's who I remember. How about you? You remember that guy? You remember him? Is he in there? Because we need him right now. You're about to be a real fool. Could we get the hero back at the commands of the ship? Is he in there? Not much has changed in 1,935 years from the writing of the book of Hebrews because it says they were publicly exposed to ridicule. The words mean to be shamed or cruelly mocked or held up to public shame. What was that? Two weeks ago, 
undercover reporter. She goes in with an agenda into this little, tiny, insignificant pizzeria and gets on, uh, on camera this little girl who doesn't know. She can't be much more than a high schooler, but she's co-owner, and she, there they are making pizzas. She goes, oh, no, anybody's welcome here. We serve everybody. You know, well, what about this? Well, you know, I'd have some questions about my own conscience because I'm a Christian, and I think God made it so that a woman and a man are together. So, so I would be uncomfortable about it if someone asked me to get involved in any way, you know, but I, I love everybody. And just like that, that family became an international whipping post of slander and death threats. They went into hiding. The school gym teacher in town tweeted out, Let's burn their building down. She was suspended. They couldn't move or breathe. They were destroyed. She handled it pretty well. But nothing has changed. Persecuted means violence that accompanies the verbal onslaught, the beatings, vandalizing, mobs, imprisonment, deprivation. The focus goal, of course, is to get the Christian to back down. Back down, recant, renounce, stop, silence. That's the initial goal. And everybody watching, don't you even think about it because we'll do what we did to them, to you. So the next time somebody walks in and asks you, to violate your Christian conscience? What are you going to say? Because we verbally assaulted and character assassinated them. What are you going to do? You thinking about following them? Better not. See, so that's the goal. So he reminds them. You had joy about that. You were okay. You were glad to suffer disgrace. You were undeterred. <laughs> Remember that. Grace was sufficient. The peace that passes understanding was yours. The courage of the Holy Spirit was overflowing. The love was burning bright. And you were like, oh, I could, I could hurt for Jesus. As Jesus hurt for me, I could take a little of the heat that my Lord and Savior took for me. Now, his, their courageous faith did not stop there. He says, on top of all your other uh, troubles... You stood with those in prison. Look at that. You went to visit them. You put yourself in harm's way. So what you ended up doing is if they did not have people come and feed them and bring them water, they died. But in order to do that, you identified yourself as a Christian supporter, a Christian lover. They're in for uh, trouble. So you're putting yourself in harm's way. He said, but... You know, man, you brought in that bread and the look on their faces and you felt love. You left that prison with a full heart, with joy. You felt God's pleasure when you were doing that. You didn't care if they said, you put down the bread and you take a place in there too. You didn't care. You even joyfully let them take your stuff. Look at the word joyfully. Joyfully. They came in and ransacked and took your wagon for your vegetable card, uh, garden and display. Makes it hard for you to make a living. And why? Why, why were why was their joy? Because you had a heavenly perspective that you had the one possession that's better and lasting than any wood cart that they stole off your property. You had joy in your heart because you had your eyes on heaven where Jesus told you, put your heart and your treasure there where no evil, unbelieving thug can break in and take your stuff away. That's why you had joy. You were looking forward to what's coming in heaven. Where'd that guy go? Oh, we need to get a hold of that guy. Raise him up, put him back behind the steering wheel because we got somebody who's not doing a good job right now. We need that person to come back. Wow. They couldn't care less about their own safety. The amazing testimony here of these kinds of people, just incredible. And by the way, 
Go fund me. Somebody started an account and they raised $840,000 for that little family. And look what they did. They, they got the graffiti fixed and then they gave it back. They're giving it back to the community. Why? Look at the word joyfully. Joyfully. They kept a sweet spirit because Jesus told us, when people persecute you, pray for them. When they do you wrong and hate you and do evil toward you, love your enemies. Jesus said, you know what? Atheists, evil people, they love people who are nice to them. What I'm looking for is you to respond in the opposite spirit so that when someone comes in and takes your wagon from the backyard, you're like, you know what? I'm praying for you. That kept their hearts sweet. So like the family could say, hey, I don't you know, this money could change our lives forever. But you know, who are we? We're giving it back to the community. And it has changed a lot of people's attitudes in that town. And what has God done with that? He's turned it around to share the gospel. And people look at their lives. And, and there were two ladies on Fox News who said, you know, quite frankly, I'm just going to say what she said. She said, I'm a lesbian. She said, I was so impressed with that family. I donated to GoFundMe. And I'm standing up. We need to stand up for these kinds of Christians. That's what she said. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. And so God has a way of, of working it all out for sure. And so then he ends up by saying, listen, here's your motivation to finish well. Cross the line. Don't give up now. I know you're tired. But finish well because yet in very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. There in verse 37, he's quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2. He's saying, you know, it may look like it's been a long time and a delay, but you know, it's not really a delay. The words in the Greek for the second return of Christ are often said to be coming soon, coming quickly. Those words don't necessarily denote time. It means when it happens, it's going to be fast and furious. Suddenly is the understanding that once it comes, it's like, boom, done. No turning back. That's the idea. And he's saying it could be in your lifetime. They used to call Jesus the coming one. The coming one's going to come without delay. And he wants to find you serving the Lord and, and doing good. You know, I, I told the first service about a time with the pastor of Calvary Chapel Petaluma came uh, for a, a visit. He didn't tell me he was coming. But that morning, Barb and the kids took off and I, the, the house was, you know, kind of disheveled a little bit. Three kids, homeschooled, you know how it goes. And so I cleaned the whole thing and made it polished. I wanted it to be impressive when she got back. You know, so everything was shiny clean. And I got tired and I just flopped on the couch, but I lit a couple candles and I uh, turned on some worship music and I opened my Bible. And so Pastor Jay pulled up. I didn't know he was here. And he knocks on the door. Hey, Ross. And he came in to the living room. And there I was with my open Bible and the worship music. And the house was shiny, clean. And he looked around and goes, you knew I was coming. (laughs) When the coming one comes, you don't want to be silenced and hiding and doing your own thing. Or having some stupid argument, did not, did do, did not, did do. And then boom, there he is. You're like, oh. <laughs> you want to be, shrink back there means to withdraw or to hold back because of intimidation. Don't be like that. Stand up and shine brightly. And I love how he ends there. He says, we're not like that. That's not in our, our, our DNA as believers. We're, we're not that way. We're not going to end in destruction. We're the ones who believe, walk through this life, and, and experience full salvation. That is who we are. You know, First Peter, Second uh, Peter, I should say, chapter 1, he says, hey, you guys, you should build in your, on your faith. Love and self-control and perseverance. And if you keep building your faith up, he says, 
then you will have a rich welcome into God's kingdom. If there's a rich welcome, there's a not so rich welcome. I want those who shrink back, they're going to be there if they knew the Lord, right? I want a rich welcome where he opens the skies and he's able to look around and go, whoa, you knew I was coming. <laughs> and the answer will be, yeah, I did. And it, and, and it won't depend, of course, on what we're doing because his sacrifice covers us, right? I mean, we could be involved in who knows what when the trumpet sounds, but we want to be in that state where there's nothing in between me and the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the warnings and the comfort and the affirmation and the words of correction. God, we we just going to take these words and put them into practice in our hearts and lives. We pray for your direction in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.